you have your copies of God's Word, please open to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We hopefully will finish this chapter. We will be considering the last five verses, verse 16 to 20. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And then we will consider verse 16 to verse 20. Look with me at the authoritative word of God. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who, sp- he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not cast the king, nor in your bedroom, cast the rich, for a bird of the, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. I'm going to make a prayer, and then we will consider those last five verses there. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening. We ask for help as we sit to hear your word. We thank you that we have such a great privilege to listen to your word opened in our midst to our ears. Grant that we would not only hear, but that we would listen. Grant that we would not only be hearers, but that we would be doers of your word. Please help me as I speak to be faithful. Help my listeners as they listen to be faithful. Help all of us with your word, Lord, that all the glory would go back to you and that we would be, we would be shaped and fashioned by your Holy Spirit through your word into the image of your Son. Give me your people this evening, Lord. Grant that we would all be helped to bow down before Jesus, our great King. Hear us, Lord. Help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The preacher has been telling us about wisdom uh, from chapter 9, verse 11 to the end of chapter 10. He has been showing us that it is better to have wisdom than to have folly. He has communicated to us several things that, that, that we've seen. 
um, it's better to, to, to be wise. Yet, yet we see that a little folly can outweigh much wisdom. But then, nonetheless, it's better to be wise than to be foolish. Because when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And in his lacking of sense, everyone knows that he's a fool. He has brought us into the realm of rulership. And he has shown us that even rulers can be unwise in the way they, they do their things, in the way they, they have their undertakings. And so he has shown us that even rulers need wisdom because wisdom is better than folly. And then he's, he's gotten into some practicalities of our own lives from verse 8 to verse, 11 of, uh, verse 15 of chapter 10 where he's, he's told us general things about wisdom and folly. How he who digs a, pot, uh, a pit falls into it. How if one is not careful in the quarry, stones, stones will hurt him. The people who split logs must be careful. If you're going to use um, the edge of an iron, it must be sharp rather than blunt. The, the, the charmers who charm the serpents must be careful so as not to be beaten by the snakes. Then the last time we considered this passage, we were able to be shown by our pastor how uh, the, 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 the words of the wise man win him favor. It's better to be wise again than to be foolish. And the fool, the fool is destroyed by his own words and the way they speak. This evening, I'd like us to consider these last five verses and like us to think about the, again, the realm of rulership. I've titled my sermon, Jesus is the best king. Now, what you're going to see in this passage is that there, there's, a, there's a good king to have and there's a bad king to have. And there's, there's that king that we should desire to have uh, and, and, and that king that we should, we should not desire to have. I'd like you to think of our country um, presently. And in your own estimation, do you think we have a good king or a bad king? As you think about the, the, the presidency and all the leaders that we have, the governors, the senators, the MCAs, the MPs, the, 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 the senators, all of them, do we have good leaders or do we have bad leaders? In the passage that we are considering this evening, I'd like to show you um, how good leaders look like. But even more than that, I'd like to point you to Jesus Christ, who is the best king. Look at verse 16 to 20. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not cast the king, nor in your bedroom, cast the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, as you may well know, these are proverbs that uh, the preacher has been using to try and communicate to us this idea that wisdom is better than folly. I'd like to bring two simple, plain points to you this afternoon. Number one, rejoice when your king is the son of the nobility, from verses 16 to 19. And then number two, do not curse your king if he is not the son of the nobility from verses 20, verse 20. Rejoice when your king is the son of the nobility. Do not curse your king if he is not the son of the nobility. Verse 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes 
feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Now think with me for a moment that in the whole of your lifetime you might never have a king who is the son of the nobility. And what I mean is you may never have a king who is good. You may never have a king that you love, a leader, a president that you say that this, this, is, my, this is my president. This is the best president that I, I know or I can see. Very rarely do we in our own lifetimes have men who lead in a way that we, uh, uh, we always remember. In the passage before us, we have a warning for kings and a warning for us who would be subjects if you are not kings. These warnings are what encompasses the wisdom that is better than folly that the preacher has been talking about. Now the preacher is here speaking to the land. You see the language there? Woe to you, O land. Happy are you, O land. And this is of course to the people. And he's now telling them that they are better off with the son of the nobility. We should rejoice when our king is the son of the nobility than with a king who is childish. So he says there in verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. Now you see, you see that language there doesn't necessarily mean that the king cannot be a child. The problem is not quite that the king is a child. For we have examples of children who were kings, like Josiah in Second Chronicles 34. So you have, you have Josiah who became a king when he was... How old was Josiah? Sorry? Eight. Eight years old. Second Chronicles uh, 34 tells us that. And he was a good king. So, so, so uh, the matter of the age is not quite a problem. The problem is having a childish king. So that when the preacher says, Woe to you, O land, when your child is a king, he's saying, Woe to you when your, child, uh, when your king is childish. You know, one who is a child in his undertakings and, 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 and is seen in the way that he does things. The preacher says, Woe to the land who their king would be a child. And, and look at the result. What, what do their princes do? Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. And your princes, your princes feast in the morning. They feast in the morning, which is not the proper time. And we know it's not the proper time because of verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is, is the son of the nobility, and your priest, princes feast at the appropriate time. So that the king who is childish has princes who are uncontrollable, uh, who do not have self-control, who are indulgent, and that at the wrong time. They feast in the morning, which is not the proper time. They feast for drunkenness rather than for strength. Look at verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. And your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. And the implication there is that this king who is a child, who has princes who feast in the morning, they do not feast because they want strength, because they want to be rejuvenated. They feast in the morning for drunkenness as opposed to for strength. So the preacher is contrasting the king who is a child, not, not necessarily in years, but in his qualities with the king, the, the king who is the son of the nobility. That's, that's what he calls him. Not necessarily nobility in blood, but in his godliness, in his proper character, in, in his wisdom, in all his undertakings. Again, the context is about wisdom and folly. And so this, this one king who is childish is foolish. And this other king who is uh, the son of the nobility, as he calls him, is wise, is godly, is righteous. True nobility is seen in this king when wisdom and righteousness and the fear of God adorn him. So that when the king reigns in righteousness, the princes follow his example. When the king reigns in unrighteousness, the princes follow. When the king reigns in righteousness, the princes follow his example. They rule in justice. And this is what we have in Isaiah chapter 32 verse 1. 
Now, when you have a good king, you have disciplined leaders. You do not have princes who feast in the morning and, you know, they are unrestrained, they are unwise in their indulgence. You have princes who feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Now, consider with me Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, verse 4 to verse 9. This is an oracle that King Lemuel was taught by his mother. And in verse 4 we read, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them, uh, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now you see there, the king is not to be a drunk. And, and, and the contrast is... is is clear there when we are told that these princes feast in the morning. They, they feast not for strength but for drunkenness. And, and, and we see there that the, the kings are not to take strong drink. The rulers are not to take strong drink. They, because when they do, they will forget what has been decreed. They will not take care of the people. And that's what we see that they should do. There in verse 8. They should open their mouth for the mute. They should open their mouth for the rights of those who are destitute. But then when they, are, when they indulge in drunkenness, when you have bad rulers, bad leaders, then they, they, they are not able to open their mouth to judge righteously, to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And so the point there is we should rejoice when we have this king who is the son of the nobility, when we have a good king, when we have a wise king, when we have a righteous king, when we have a king, a leader who fears God, it should be, it should be our joy. We should rejoice. And that's what, the, that's what the preacher tells us. He says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. The, the contrast, the, the, the opposite is true. That when our king is not the son of the nobility, we should mourn. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. Your princes feast in the morning. They will waste all the resources. They will they'll not take their responsibilities as they should. Look at me at verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks I'd like for you to see here that the intemperate king, this, this, this childish king with his princes, becomes lots. When they feast in the morning, when they're not feasting so that they may be rejuvenated for strength, so that they may be able to rule, they become lots and they bring down the house, as it were. The house starts to leak and it, it, it's only a matter of time before the roof sinks in. See that word indolence there? It says through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. That, that word indolence there means inactivity resulting from a dislike of work. You have these rulers who, who, who are lazy. They, they, don't, they don't love work. And this is why then, because they don't love work, they are slothful. They the, the, the house starts leaking. They don't care. And then the roof comes down. And, and this is basically laziness. This is what you have with unfaithful rulers. I tell you, my friends, we, we do not want to have rulers like this. This was sloths. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. Through indolence, the house leaks. And you can tell rulers who are doing their job 
with, you know, to use this language of the preacher, with the state of the house, right? With the way the land looks like. You can tell that our country, for example, has had lazy leaders. Just by the state of the, the economy. Just, just because of how things are for you and I who are common citizens. You do not want lazy rulers. You don't want lazy leaders. Lazy leaders, lazy rulers, only see the problem at the moment. And they are unable to see the big picture. They are always indulging and never working. Think, 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 of, think of our own politicians, for example. They only see the little money that has been stolen to corruption, but they do not see how this translates into a terrible economic state in the future. How, how are we where we are right now in our country? Is, is it not because of lazy rulers? Terrible leaders? Those who, those who are sloths, sloth, they, they let the roof sink in they hate work. They have indolence. The house is leaking. They, they care nothing for, for it. So if it is politicians, they only see the little, the little money that is stolen through corruption. But they do not see how this will translate into a terrible economic state. If it is pastors, they do not see that failure to, to labor hard with the text translates to a weak church and it's tantamount not only to their unfaithfulness, but also to having fake Christians in the church. If it is a husband, he's unable to see how failure to lead his family in anything is problematic. To not only that family that he has, but also the future families that come out of his, future generations that come out of his. Friends, we should rejoice when we have a righteous king. We are to rejoice when our king is the son of the nobility because they are hard to come by. It's very hard to have a king who is the son of the nobility, who is wise, who is righteous, um, who cares for the work that he has. Our country has come this close to knowing a good king I'm not sure we will ever see a good king as a country now we know what to pray for when we are praying for our country right when we are praying for our leaders we know what to pray for whatever sphere it may be be it the home or the church or, or the state especially the state we, we know what to pray for because we see the kinds of leaders that we have. Our land can be happy or sad, woeful, depending on the leaders that we have. Now, look at verse 19. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. The preacher is now telling us the, the goodness of resources and this is directly linked to what he has been talking about as it is true of those who are rulers that they, they, they lack for nothing. They, they do not have anything that they need as it were. They have more than they need. In fact, they have bread for laughter. See verse, verse 19 there says bread is made for laughter. The rulers have bread for laughter. Wine gladdens life. The rulers have wine that gladdens their lives. And they have money, which the preacher tells us there, answers everything. Now, think with me for a moment about money. Money answers not only pleasure, and it does not only grant a feasting or, or wine. And, and, and you know, wine is... Wine is, is, an, is like an emblem of wealth. Money does not only grant bread and wine. 
the, the preacher tells us that money answers everything. How good would it be for you if you had money? Hmm? If you had a lot of money? Yeah? People say that if I had a lot of money, I would do one, two, three, four, five things. I would be able to accomplish so much. Which is true because money answers everything. In itself, money is a blessing. It grants much temporal comfort. The man who has money wants nothing of what this life and this world can offer. They, they are not in need. Money gives a million advantages. It grants the necessities of life and over and above granting the necessities of life, money gives the conveniences of life. You know, people who have money talk of convenience because money answers all things. And this is what the rulers have. They have money, that which answers everything. Unfortunately, the statement there that money answers everything is only in the sphere of indulgence. The context is about rulers and kings who have all the means since they are in power and they have access to money. But money, money cannot give health. Money cannot give true happiness. It cannot give immortality. Money cannot, cannot provide the principles of moral excellence. It cannot give peace of conscience. Money cannot grant a ransom for your soul. So that there is a limit to the answers to which money grants. And I submit to you that money can become a sort of ruler and king, even a god over the people who have it. Money becomes useful when it is used to the ends of the glory of God and the good of others. Apart from those uh, purposes, money can become a thing that is to be feared. When, when the king is a son of the nobility, he understands the purpose for which God gives money. And hence his kingship becomes about the very ends for which money is useful, the glory of God and the good of others. And the opposite is true. When you have a childish king, his kingship becomes about amassing wealth to himself. And, and this is ruinous to any land. Unfortunately, these are the kinds of leaders that we have. Childish, lazy, feasting in the morning, Amassing wealth to themselves, wasting money and resources, which the preacher tells us answers everything. If money is used properly, it answers everything. Much good is accomplished when money is used appropriately, when it is used for the good of souls, when it is used to spread the gospel, for example, in helping the needy, in providing opportunities. Much good can be accomplished. But then is, is this what occupies our hearts when we get money? Is this what is occupying the hearts of our leaders with all the monies and the resources that are allocated every county, for example, that they can do much good with that money? Is this what will occupy your heart when you get money? You know, some of us do not have money. And a time is coming when we, when we may get money. Is this what occupies our hearts? That we are going to do much good with money. Now think, think of our own rulers here in the country. What is the motivation that they have to get into office? For the most part, it's money. It's money. Do you think they, they want to advance the glory of God with that money? By serving faithfully? Or do you think it is to amass for themselves and feed their bellies from that bottomless, eh, bottomless bag of cash? It's, it's, more, it's, it's more the latter than the former. They want to feed themselves more than they want to, to lead the people. Now you see, when I tell you to rejoice when your king is the son of the nobility, 
It's as though I'm telling you, you have nothing to rejoice about. Because in your own lifetime, Kibaki was president only for five years. The other five years was a struggle with the opposition. And you never know in your own lifetime whether you're going to ever see a king who is wise, who is righteous, who is the son of the nobility. While the preacher assures us that money answers everything, we should always remember that the scriptures give us warnings about money many, many times. We should remember that money has the capacity to take the place of God in the human heart, the human heart which is deceitful. And hence, we should guard ourselves over it. The more money we get, the more prayerful we should be. The more prayerful we should be against the allurements of money. The more money we get, the less clingy we should be with it. At the risk of sounding like a charismatic preacher, the more money you get, the quicker you should be in releasing it, in letting go, in opening your arms. Because our Lord warns us against the difficulty of entering into the kingdom of God for those who have money, those who are rich. And we should take it seriously, right? The kings of this earth are at a high risk of going to hell because of money. Because money has that capacity to, to change, change us, to twist us, to twist our hearts. Now, Jesus is the best king. We may not have that uh, king who is the son of the nobility. We may not be a happy land, you know. The, that land that has princes who feast at the proper time. Princes who, 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 who feast for strength and not for drunkenness. We may never have that. But as Christians, we have the best king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the prince of peace. And even more, he is the king of kings. He is the best king. And, 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 and why, why is he the best king? As we've read in, in Leviticus this evening, he's been able to... to, to fulfill the law of God where we couldn't. He's been able to do that which we could not do for ourselves. Instead of being like our kings here on earth who, who would rather the people suffer than they, Jesus suffers on behalf of his people. Jesus is the best king. He takes the punishment of his people. He comes to save his people from their sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the best king. You think of the call to worship that we have done from Revelation 5. It is only him who was worthy to open the scrolls. Him who is the lion and the lamb. The one who is worthy to receive all power and honor and blessing and wisdom. He is the best king. You see, our hope is not in our earthly kings. No. No, the, the hope of the Christian is not in the president, William Ruto. Our hope as, as believers living in Meru is not in our governor. The hope of the Christian is in Jesus Christ, who is the best king. You see, Jesus is the true son of the nobility. He is the one with royal blood flowing within him. Jesus Christ is the best king. If you want to 
to be happy Holland then trust in Jesus Christ depend upon Jesus Christ if you want to cry and be sad trust upon the the kings of this earth the kings of this earth are childish they are they are lazy they amass wealth for themselves even the king who is writing this this book right now he was not the best king he had a thousand women all for himself all, all for himself amass for himself all the wealth that he could get isn't that what he tells us in chapter 2 sought all the pleasures that he would he would ever have in this world he was not the best king all the kings that god gives in the scriptures point to the best king the lord jesus christ happy are you o people of god this evening when your king is the lord jesus christ the true son of the nobility those who do not have jesus christ as their king are at a loss they are at a loss because it's not only that they do not have the best king it's also that the kings that they they have and depend upon will ultimately they must fail them and eventually they will die and they will face the wrath of god the son of the nobility the king of kings the lord of lords is offered to all that we all may bow to him that we all may submit to him that we all may trust in him that we all may be with him for all eternity the true king the son of the nobility the lord jesus christ he's the best king and so our rejoicing when our king is the, the son of the nobility is because we are in christ is because we have we have that king who was not afraid to face sin and death it's not adam it's not uh, 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 david it's not solomon it's not abraham it's not it's not anyone else it's not isaac it's not jacob is the lord jesus christ he was not afraid to come take upon himself human form live the perfect life that we could not live and die the death that we deserved that's why he's the best king he will forever be worthy because he reigns the lord is king we will lift up our voices in heaven and on earth and under the earth he is to be praised he has the name that is above every name that his father gave him He has the glory of God which God shares with no one but God shares it with him. He is the best king. Number 2 and lastly do not curse your king if he is not the son of the nobility. Do not curse your king if he is not the son of the nobility. And so we see there firstly that we are to rejoice when our king is the son of the nobility. And then secondly we should refrain from cursing our king when he is not the son of the nobility for the most part of our lives we will not we will not have a king who is the son of the nobility look with me at verse 20 even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some wind creature tell the matter the preacher is saying here to the subjects that it is a reality that your king may be the foolish king and not the wise one nonetheless we are not to curse the king with our words see when he says even in your thoughts do not curse the king the assumption is there is a possibility to curse the king with your words and before the words are spoken of course they are in your thoughts so he says even in your thoughts do not curse the king the tendency with us sinful fallen human beings is to think that we know more or we know better than the king 
you know, whether we say it or not, whether it's just in our subconscious minds, the tendency for us is to think we know. We know better than the king. And this is because we are sinners. God tells us that whatever we think, we are not to cast the king in our thoughts. And certainly not with our words. We are not to cast the king even in the secrecy of our bedroom. It says, even in your thoughts, do not cast the king, nor in your bedroom, cast the rich. Of course, the statement, cast the rich, is not out of place. The rulers, the kings, are rich because they have money which answers everything. We are given a stern reminder there that what we think is secret may come out one way or another. And the preacher uses a metaphor there. The metaphor is used there for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, it may well be a parrot which will carry your words and the matter be said where you never intended it. You may tell your, your, your secret to your friend and then you would in turn, in turn tell a trusted friend and before you know it, the matter is everywhere. As the preacher says, that we are not to cast the king. We are not to think ill of the king. In our thoughts, even in the secrecy of our bedrooms, because it may be known. You know what the king will do to you? Look at verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Rulers have this tendency to be angry. To, uh, uh, to be angry and to sin with their anger. You're told we are not to think ill of the king. At the root of it is the, the basic fact that God is the one that institutes all authority. Bear in mind that all authority is given by God. And so God requires that we honor the king. God requires that we honor the emperor. We will do well to pray for the king than grumbling about and, and cursing the king. God allows us to know the faults of our leaders so that we may pray for them and not harm them by dishonoring them, not harm them by cursing them. We are to pray for them. Prayers are to be made for, for, for who? For all who are in high positions. All the rulers, we should pray for them. Isn't that what Paul tells us? Let me, let me just quickly read that. First Timothy chapter 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet, uh, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And you see, happy, happy we would be if our king is the son of the nobility. But then even if they are not, we should pray for them. We should pray for them so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. So that we may lead a godly and dignified life in every way. That's the responsibility of, of the Christian. To pray for the leaders. We are to pray for them. Even more when we know their particular evils. We pray for them. We pray for them. Think of what the grace of God may do to the leaders whom we are so prone to despise. The, the grace of God is so amazing that we cannot afford not to pray for the leaders. Rather than cursing them, grumbling about them, having our grumbling and our cursing be released out there by this metaphoric bird. Rather than that, we should pray for our leaders. When you pray, your thoughts and eventually your words are kept from cursing. When you pray, you think of solutions rather than grumbling. When you pray, you entrust the childish, lazy, slothful leaders to the omnipotent hand of God. And then you do the wise thing. You entrust them to the king of kings. Because they are men with feet of clay. Prone to doing all sorts of mischief. Feasting in the morning. 
not for strength but for drunkenness. But when we pray for them, we are inevitably communicating that we trust God for you. We trust God for the leaders of this nation. You see, praying for our leaders, praying for our kings, shows that we have Jesus as our king, as our, our best king. It shows that we have a greater, higher authority that we bow down to, that we take to all our needs and all our problems. It shows that our leaders are not our hope. Our hope is in the best king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make a few applications and finish. Number one, pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Pray for them that they may work hard. That they may not be childish and lazy and slothful and sluggards. That they may not be found feasting in the morning. Just imagine. It's unimaginable that you'd have leaders feasting in the morning. Morning time is working time. Pray for your leaders. We do not pray for our leaders here in our public prayers just as a formality. We pray for them because we believe that they need God. They need the best king to help them. Number two, pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. You're prone to grumbling, casting the king. You're prone to think that you're better than the king. Pray for yourself that you may not be found cursing your leaders, hating them, despising them. Pray for yourself. Thirdly and lastly, trust in the ultimate king. Trust in the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the ultimate king more than you trust the earthly kings that we have. You see, the way people live today, even Christians, it's as though our kings have the solution to our problems. People live as though if only we had so-and-so as our king, we would be better. If only this person was elected, our country would be a better place. Now, granted, there may be some truth and ground in, in saying that. But you see, fundamentally, there's a mistake in thinking like that. Especially for people who are Christians. Because our trust is not in our leaders. Our trust is in God. Our trust is in Christ, who is the best king. And the encouragement is to trust in the ultimate king. The king of kings. The one who reigns from heaven above. The one from whom the scepter will, not, will never be taken away. You see... The psalmist urges the kings to kiss the son. Listen to Psalm 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. You know, before that, he's complaining about the, the, the rulers. Listen to verse 1. Why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bones apart and cast away their cords from us. And then, and then he says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the, the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. His scepter is never going to be taken away from him. And then he says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. 
serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You hear that language? Trust in the ultimate king. We are all to trust in the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the best king. Because blessed are all who take refuge in him. Even the kings of this earth. And that's why we, we, we call upon his name. For the sake of the kings. Because even the kings are told. To bow to him. To depend on him. To look to him. Look to Christ. The best king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to hear your word. We get to be reminded of how Christ is our best king. He has these unsearchable riches, depths upon which we, we can never fathom. Yet we thank you that your word plainly reminds us that he is our king. He is the best. He is our joy, our righteousness. Know how we pray that you may help us to trust in him, the true son of the nobility, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who are Christians here, help us to rejoice, to rejoice because we have him. And help us to be kept from cursing our own earthly kings of the tendency to be lazy and slothful and childish and wasteful. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would be found praying for our leaders as much as we can. Help us to remember, remember that our hope our hope does not come from men. Hope comes from Christ, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you for your your word which is full of riches like a garden with flowers bright and fair bless us with it pray this in Jesus name Amen <laughs>